Hi everyone. As Justin said, my name's Anna and I'm going to be reading God's Word to us tonight. Uh, the first reading is from Exodus uh, chapter 16, verses 9 to 15. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of God appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And the second reading from John chapter six. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. 
Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many, have di many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you this evening. Thank you for the reading, it's a long one. You did well, and inevitably we won't cover all of it tonight, but I hope to bring some encouragement from John 6 as we look at it together. It's interesting, as you read through John's Gospel, the word life emerges a lot out of Jesus' lips. We'll explore a little bit of what that means tonight and how we get to it. But the way, the way we use the word life is revealing, isn't it? If someone works too much, sometimes we might say that they need to get a life, or if we feel under the pump, which we've inevitably all had that experience and can't find time to see our friends or to relax, we might say that we don't feel like we have a life. And even situations where we might make decisions or withhold from decisions because we think that it might stop us from 
having a life. So what do we mean when we say life? What does it reveal about us and our world? Well, when we use the word life this way, we're we're talking, aren't we, about the quality of life, which is to say life is about choice, the choices we have. When we say we have no life, we often mean that we have less choice. We have constraints, obligations and responsibilities, whereas ours is an age that celebrates maximum choice because maximum choice means maximum life. And so it's easy to get captured by a vision of the good life, the good life where I don't have constraints, obligations and responsibilities, but rather maximum choice, maximum life. But you don't have to scratch too hard, do you, to see that there are problems with this because Principally, what it doesn't do is equip us to handle life very well because life often doesn't go as planned. We have desires that life might go a certain way, but life throws something else at us, doesn't it? And so to view life as maximal choice means that we're completely unprepared sometimes when life happens, when the responsibilities or obligations of of work, children or being a child, middle age, loss and chronic sickness. If we pursue the vision of life as limitless choice, it leaves us a little anemic, doesn't it? And ultimately, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because it can't ultimately deliver. So is there another way? And I think there is in John 6 and in the way of Jesus. Jesus today says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's holding out to us the promise of life. We come hungry, we leave full. Or as we saw last week, we come thirsty, and we're met with living waters. It's the promise of life, but like a lot of Jesus' teaching, the picture of life that he presents for us is not one that we or our culture might envisage as the flourishing life. And moreover, tonight, the way to it is strange. Jesus says in our reading tonight, we are to eat this bread of life, his flesh, in order to attain life, to get life. Now, we might be familiar with these words because we've celebrated things like the Lord's Supper, where we speak of eating the flesh and drinking the blood as a way to picture symbolically what we do by faith. But they are strange, and you get a sense of that, don't you, in the response of the audience to Jesus in this reading. They're a bit aghast because it's strange. Jesus says that we are to eat his flesh. It's quite graphic. It's quite gory. Sounds a little bit like cannibalism, doesn't it? So it's bizarre at best. Is it grotesque at worst? Well, what does Jesus mean? Well, we're going to look at that today under three headings. What is the bread of life? Jesus holds out to to us a vision of life. What is it? Where does the idea come from? And finally, what does it mean to eat his flesh? And then we'll explore a few ways that we can work this out in our lives together. 
Before we get here, it might be helpful just to paint a little bit of context. The Gospel of John records the events and some teaching of Jesus' life. And he gives us a purpose statement. In John chapter 20, he says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He sets out his purpose. These events recorded, the miracles that Jesus performs, the signs, as John calls them, point to something, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and call us to something, that we are to believe in his name, believe so that we may have life in his name. That's his purpose. And throughout the Gospel, he draws upon a storehouse of images and pictures from the Old Testament to help us to see these things, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And these events, and indeed the miracles and the signs, as they're described, are laden with meaning and significance. And that's no less true of John 6 tonight. Uh, we're told in the first verses of John 6 that it's just before the Jewish festival of Passover. And that's significant. The Passover was the event where God, by his mighty acts, redeemed Israel from slavery under the cruel tyrant Pharaoh. And he did it by way of Moses leading the people out through the waters and Moses in the wilderness ascending the mountain and getting the law from God. And all this image is in place as we read uh, this passage tonight. So if we read from verse 1, we would read of Jesus miraculously feeding thousands of people just as God did in the wilderness after the Exodus. We'll read that Jesus ascends a mountain just like Moses did. And then at night he walked miles across the sea, through the waters, the feeding, the ascending the mountain, the crossing the waters. For those with eyes to see, it's as if Jesus was reenacting the events from Moses' day. Jesus is like a new Moses leading a new exodus. But who's the tyrant and what is he leading them to? Just as Moses led to them to life in the promised land, Jesus is leading them to, to life in him. But the tyrant was not a cruel authority in a person like Pharaoh or Caesar, but a crueler tyrant in sin and death. So they're the, they're the kind of images at play as we come to this passage. And the original readers connect here. They see that. They draw parallels. In fact, they, they see that Jesus is significant and they want to make him king in verse 14. But what we'll see is that while they can connect the parallel between Jesus and Moses and the prophet that is to come, we see that they don't understand the signs and what they point to. But we'll pick up a little bit on that later on. But it's also briefly important to note that these events that we read tonight, they follow Jesus feeding the 5,000 earlier in the chapter. And this is a miracle. And the Gospels contain many miracles. And miracles are significant because they point towards something. But we must recognise that they're strange. And so you may be here and you may be thinking, Jesus feeding the 5,000, really? And some of the events of John's Gospel, really? 
And that's completely understandable because to read John's Gospel is to recognise that we read it with a certain view of this world, a view of the world that does run by natural laws and processes but recognises that there's a personal God behind those who creates and sustains the world. And occasionally, he acts exceptionally in order to demonstrate something significant that is happening. And that's what we see here in the Gospel of John by way of context. But what is the bread of life that we read about in this passage? We all know what hunger is, that rumble in the stomach. And we often actually use the language of life, don't we, to speak about our hunger My children will often say, I'm starving, or they'll smell something, and it's like torture. It's kind of the language of life and death connected with food. And Jesus picks up this imagery because that's very much the reality for the first century world. In the first century world, bread was essential to life and sustenance. No bread, no life. And so Jesus takes this image and uses it in multiple ways. But significantly, he's saying that without him, there is no life. Jesus on two occasions says he is the bread of life, verses 35 and 48. He's saying that he is the essential source for spiritual life, eternal life. Without Jesus, there is no life. And in our reading today, we see that the crowds had followed Jesus because they'd seen something significant about him. But they came to him because he had fed them. We read that in verse 26. So they'd come to Jesus because they had certain needs and they wanted them to be met. They were hungry. And Jesus wants to meet their needs, but he wants to meet their right needs. So we see Jesus starting to redirect them to see what true life is the way to it, and we'll see how they respond. See, they've come to Jesus, they've come to him, and and Jesus calls them out immediately for their motives in verses 25 through to 27. He says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves of bread and had your fill. He recognises that they're, they're here to see him because... He's, he's performed this miracle, they've had their fill, and they want more. He's met a need, and they want him to deliver again. And Jesus calls that out, and then he calls them to something. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus calls them out and redirects their attention away from their immediate needs, their stomachs, and shifts their gaze to the food that sustains life in him, to himself, the food that endures, not just in the present, but to eternal life. So Jesus is calling them to pursue relentlessly that which truly matters. Life, not as maximum choice, but as life in him. And so even at this early point, we're set with a challenge, aren't we? And it's picked up in our call to worship tonight in Isaiah 55. 
It checks us on what, what are we ultimately pursuing. Are we pursuing things of ultimate value or lesser things? Well, Jesus calls us to work for the food that endures to eternal life. To what ends do all our effort, energy, affections, time and headspace and dreams spent pursuing? What are their ends? Where do they lead? Because often we do these things because we want life, but Jesus is saying, actually, we might end up missing on true life altogether unless we do the work that God requires. And what is that work? Well, he tells us in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. To believe in the one whom he has sent. This is the food that endures to eternal life. So what is the bread of life? Well, the bread of life is the source and substance, the foundation of true life, eternal life, and it's to be found in Jesus. And we get it through the work of believing in him. But it's attached to a promise because it tells us in verse 35 that he is the bread of life and whoever comes to him will never go hungry and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he is the bread of life, the food that satisfies. Our challenge is, are we pursuing him, striving toward him for true life, believing in him, that he is the one whom God has sent. Well, secondly, where does this idea come from? Well, the dialogue that takes place that we've read helps us answer this question. As we've seen, there's the Old Testament imagery feeding into it. But as they come to Jesus and Jesus says to, to work for the food that endures to eternal life, they say, well, we want you to show us a sign. And it's a great irony as you read it because a miracle has just occurred that they've benefited from. And then they ask for a sign. They say they want a sign, like a repeated sign, like in the days of Moses and Manna, where, where God had redeemed them from slavery through mighty acts and then he provides for them through Moses, Manna from heaven. They say, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to provide more food as a sign? And it's interesting because what you see is you see that, that Jesus kind of reinterprets the way that they're understanding things. See, they say that, that Moses gave them bread, but Jesus corrects them. Jesus says to them in verse 32, Very truly I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, they came to Moses because he kind of seemingly performed these wonders, dispensed gifts. But Jesus is saying, no, all along God provided, and now he provides for life, to eternal life, in the bread of heaven himself, who will give life to the world. He's highlighting that they have come to him for bread, but they're not realising that he is the bread. They'd come to him for his gifts, not realising that he is the gift. They'd come to him to take away their hunger, but he had come 
to use the language of John the Baptist, to take away the sin of the world. See, they come to Jesus because he was useful to them. He delivered something. But they want him to deliver over and over again. And they will only follow him if he does. John Piper on this passage helpfully asks, will Jesus be useful for them or precious? Will Jesus be for them the person who has delivered the bread or will he be for them true bread from heaven? That's a good question we can ask ourselves as well. Is Jesus useful for us in the sense that as long as he keeps delivering, we'll be okay, we'll hang around? Or is he precious? Does Jesus just give us our daily bread or is he our bread? Well, Jesus is the bread of life, the source and foundation of all life, leading to eternal life when we believe in him. And he explains that further by our third and final heading, what it means when we say that we eat his flesh. How do we eat this bread? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, the discussion doesn't go very well, as we read through. Jesus continues along this line. And in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Again, we drew conclusions that it's a strange thing to say and it's met with a sense of horror. We see that in verse 52. But Jesus doesn't kind of go back. He escalates it. In verse 53, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So he he raises the bar, as it were. He escalates the conversation that they very truly have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. What does he mean? Well, I think the clues to understanding this are sprinkled throughout the passage and they're connected with that word, believe. We've seen in verse 27 that what is the work for the food that endures to eternal life? Well, it's to believe in the Son of Man. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes, you could say believes, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Or in verse 40, For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So you see that the, connect, the connection between Jesus' language of eating and Believing, just as last week we saw the language uh, drawn parallels between drinking and believing. To eat Jesus' flesh is to, is to entrust ourselves. It's to, to take on, to trust him with our inmost being by faith. One writer says this, Jesus promised eternal life not to those who eat and drink from his broken body, but to those who believe in why his body was broken to take away the sin of the world. So when Jesus says to eat of his flesh, he's calling for us to entrust ourselves to him. To eat is to believe. Well, how do they respond? Well, it doesn't go very well. It's a bit of a popularity disaster. Their campaign to make him queen 
queen, king rather, quickly evaporates and is left with a small audience of his own disciples. And so he asks them, you know, were you believing also? And then Peter says these earthy, raw, beautiful words. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. It's a lovely answer, isn't it? Rory Shiner in a piece, he's a pastor in Western Australia, says, it's as if Peter says, I've not met anyone like you, and frankly, I don't have a plan B. To eat is to believe, to entrust ourselves to him. And the only way to do that is to believe and to eat the flesh of the Lord Jesus, that is, to entrust ourselves that his body was broken for us to take away the sin of the world. We've seen how they respond. How are we to respond? Well, firstly, we're to believe. To eat is to believe. But we must recognise that this is an exclusive claim of Jesus. He's saying, without him, there is no life. No Jesus, no life. It's a call to entrust ourselves to him and his work for us through his death and resurrection. We'll see as the gospel continues. But we must recognise that this is hard, isn't it? And so what can we do to foster belief? Well, a few things to close. Firstly, we need to remember that it's not the amount of our belief or trust, but whom we entrust ourselves to. It's not the amount or measure of our trust and belief, but whom we entrust ourselves to. Look at verse 37. There's other verses in this passage like it. And it speaks of God's electing love, though you know, undoubtedly we may fall in, in different places as to what this means. But I want to draw attention to Jesus' heart and promise here. In verse 37 he says this, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. They're such beautiful words, aren't they? All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In your doubt, in your, with your questions, with your trials and suffering, with your sin, Jesus says, all those who come to me, I will never drive away. Because the emphasis here is not on the strength of our belief, but upon Christ's heart and promise. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote, we might compare this to two persons who possess a hundred gold coins. One may carry them around in a paper sack, the other may keep them in an iron chest. But for all that, both possess the entire treasure. Thus the Christ whom you and I own is one and the same, regardless of the strength or the weakness of your faith or of mine. In him we possess all. 
whether we hold him with a strong faith or a weak faith. The entire service of God is contained in this. Believe in Christ, whom the Father has sent to you. Accept his pronouncements. You can offer God nothing more to please him in heaven or on earth. Accept his pronouncements. All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It's not the amount of our belief or trust, but whom we entrust ourselves to. Secondly, and this is following Rory Shiner's reflections on the Apostle Peter, in this piece that he wrote, he said, one of my personal struggles, sorry, one of my personal strategies for sticking with Jesus is to periodically remind myself of how lame my plan B really is. It's quite earthy. I quite like that. See, seeing life as maximum choice will only lead to disappointment because ultimately it can't deliver. Jesus is offering life, not life as maximised choice, but life that is a spirit-led life, a life that he bought through his death and resurrection for us, a life of the age to come, of fellowship with Father, Son and Spirit. And it's a life that sustains us to truly live, in the midst of trials and suffering, in the midst of caring for a disabled child or wiping the saliva off the face of an ageing parent. It's a life that gives. It's not maximum choice. But when you line up Jesus' offer of life against this, this vision of life, the answer can seem obvious. Remember how lame your plan B might be. And finally, we partake in the meal that he left us. When Jesus calls us to eat his flesh, this is not as if the bread and the wine become the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, literally. No, Jesus instituted the bread and the wine as symbols that as we partake by faith, we might remember his work for us, and that by his spirit he would nourish us by faith. Jesus left us the simplest yet profoundest of all meals, the Lord's Supper, and as we partake by faith, we remember eating is believing and drinking is believing. So we partake in the meal that he left us, which we will do shortly, but we will close first with a word of prayer. Would you join with me? Bread of life, we thank you for your promise of eternal life that we know was bought for us through your saving acts, your death, resurrection, so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to you and partake in true life. And we thank you that when we come to you, that you will never drive us away. In Jesus' name, amen.